Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show, Let's Finish Cancer, where we bring you the brightest cancer experts and compassionate cancer navigators. Our goal is to make you stronger at a time you might feel at your weakest and to empower you to make the best decisions for you and your family. You'll hear about the latest in technology and treatment options, stories from patients and survivors, doctors that see you as more than a cancer diagnosis, and a whole person approach to cancer care. We want to be on your journey with you, and we want you to know that at times it can be bumpy, but we're here for you, and we want to help you forward. Hi, everyone. I'm Nikki Straley. I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist specializing in gut health. As a reminder, the information provided during this event today is for information purposes only. If you do have any medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or healthcare professional. Now let's get started. Okay, so joining me today during this live event is Kaylee Proctor. She's a board-certified oncology dietitian at Leonard Cancer Institute with Mission Hospital. March is National Nutrition Month, and we're providing you with some valuable and useful information when it comes to nutrition for cancer prevention and treatment. Kaylee, welcome today. Hi, Nikki. It's so exciting to be back with you again. I know. We love working together. So <laughs> I know I know a little bit about what you do, but can you tell the mm-hmm. folks that are with us today, tell me a little bit about where you work and what you do. So I work at Leonard Cancer Institute with Mission Hospital in Mission Viejo, California. I see only oncology patients, so I see them throughout the continuum of care, whether that's prevention, on treatment, and survivorship, mostly on treatment and survivorship. And then I also work with local home health agencies to set up two feeding orders for patients if they can't meet their nutrition needs. Um, And then I get to do fun live events like this. Awesome. So cancer is something that I think touches so many people. I feel like everybody either has someone they're related to or someone that they're Mm -hmm. close to that has gone through cancer treatment. So there's a lot of questions I think surrounding that, particularly when it comes to nutrition. So I'm excited to kind of dig in today and talk about, you know, some of the questions I know I hear or people that (laughs) I've been around that they ask about and, you know, my information on nutrition uh, (laughs) and cancer is pretty old. So it's really good to hear some of this fresh new information that you're sharing with us today. So one of the things I know that people are always was really curious about is, you know, can eating a healthy diet prevent certain types of cancer? And if that's possible, what would that diet actually look like? So this is actually very cool to me because the American Institute for Cancer Research, I'm going to talk about them throughout this whole live because I'm obsessed with them. I love them. Um, a couple years ago, the new American plate method came out from their research base specifically for cancer patients. And that stemmed from the MyPlate method, which most people by now are pretty familiar with. You have your fruits, your vegetables, the dairy, the protein, and the grains. However, the American Institute for Cancer Research felt like there were gaps for cancer patients, both those who are looking to prevent cancer and those that were looking to eat a little bit better after treatment, more of that survivorship aspect. So I can't rave about them enough. Their website is beautiful. They have a fruit and vegetable database that goes through commonly consumed produce, the health benefits, how to cook them. They have the Healthy 10 Challenge. They're fantastic, but they really emphasize more of a plant-based diet. So they recommend two-thirds of your plate should be plant-based foods. So think more color, more texture, the better, whether that's fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, seeds, and legumes. And then they do incorporate that protein aspect that patients still need, especially after treatment. So they recommend lean protein like chicken, turkey, seafood, and eggs. Again, their healthy eating website, it's just, it's beautiful. I have not seen another resource like this for cancer patients. So definitely check it out if you want more information after this. 
I think that is a great resource. And yeah. you know, I, it's something that I haven't used before. So I'm excited to go check it out after this. And it'll be a great resource to share with, you know, the friends and family, um, you know, that I'm connected yeah. to people I know that that are interested in more information about, you know, cancer and nutrition. So, and you know, interactive too. So that's one thing I will say, if you're a visual learner, and you like looking at pictures, it's, it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. I, and it's great to know that these resources are out there and they're mm -hmm. free, right? There's so yeah, much stuff that feels free. like it costs, you know, you have to have a, uh, you know, it's like you need to have a subscription to this or a subscription to that. And it's just something that is out there available, a free resource that anyone can use if they have access to a computer. So I feel like that's awesome. So you work with cancer, uh, you know, treatment, like people are going through cancer treatment. And mm -hmm. so I know some of the questions that come around that are like, you know, what are some of the benefits of good nutrition during cancer treatment? Yeah, and this is one topic that I think can be overlooked sometimes in the cancer care aspect, just because patients have so many appointments and so many other things going on, but good nutrition has shown to improve outcomes. Um, I often joke with my patients, you know, I'm not the food police. I don't exactly care what you're eating. It's more what your weight is doing just because weight maintenance on treatment is so, so important for many different reasons. The main ones being it reduces the risk of toxicities from treatments, breaks or delays in treatment schedule. Um, it also just preserves some quality of life. You don't feel as tired doing your day-to-day -day activities. So we really emphasize weight maintenance while on treatment. It's a huge factor that a lot of people forget and nutrition plays a huge role in that. Yeah. And I think that people don't, often realize that it's common for people to lose weight, mm -hmm. you know, during cancer treatment. And so maybe planning ahead of time and, you know, planning what you're going to eat, you know, before treatment sometimes can be helpful too. Definitely. So, you know, when you're going through treatment, we know that someone is going to be immune compromised. So we're going to have like maybe some certain foods that they, you know, shouldn't eat, or, you know, what are the food safety precautions for people while they're going through cancer treatment? And that's the thing a lot of people think when you meet with a dietitian in the oncology world that we're going to tell you, you know, you should just be eating fruits and vegetables all day long. We're going to take away all of your favorite foods. I hear this all the time, but that's not the case. The only foods we really say to limit or avoid while on treatment are sushi, runny eggs, rare cuts of meat, and unpasteurized dairy. And again, this isn't that these foods are necessarily bad for you. It's just that when you're going through treatment, especially chemo, your immune system is very compromised. So you might not be able to fight off the little bugs that you once could. So those are the foods we say to avoid if possible. Again, at the end of the day, though, if push comes to shove and you're going through treatment and you're just not hungry and all you want are eggs over easy, I'd rather you nibble on that than nothing at all. I will say new guidelines just did just come out about deli meat saying that if you go and, for instance, you're at the deli counter and you get boar's head sliced turkey, for instance, they want you to then come home, microwave it for 30 seconds, and then put it back in the fridge. Um, so that's just a new guideline out. I'm just here to give the information. What you do with it is up to you. So just keep that in mind as well. Yeah. And it's good to know that the information changes, you know, as new research mm -hmm. comes available, because certainly like, you know, two years ago, that wasn't the recommendation. Now it is. So exactly. obviously the recommendation probably came because something happened and they realized, mm -hmm. wow, you know, we need to help um, these people be a little healthier, a little safer. And one way to do that would be to kill the bacteria, you know, from the moment they bring the meat home. So and you see um, that too with probiotics, actually, um, before they were used to be the big thing for gut health, helping patients manage constipation or diarrhea. But then a lot of people are re-looking at this because you're still introducing a bacteria 
to patients that are compromised. So it's again, it's just learning what's new, what the new guidelines are. It's always keeping you on your toes. Yeah. And that happened, you know, in my area, because I work with gut health is that Mm -hmm. I spent like 15 years recommending probiotics and really the last like five to seven years, I've really backed off from that. And I really Mm -hmm. don't find myself recommending them as often. So I think that it's good to know that research is changing. And, you know, we, we should always be on top of it as much as we can and just be flexible knowing that, you know, in five more years, we might hear something totally different. So for right now, this is this is what we know to be true. Yeah. <laughs> so for besides the, you know, the foods that you were mentioning, are there any other foods or any drinks that you would say definitely just to avoid for cancer patients? Yeah. So again, just from a food safety perspective, those are the foods I talked about. The only other thing I say to really avoid while on treatment, and honestly, even for prevention, is alcohol. The American Cancer Society came out recently too saying that. Um, no alcohol consumption for cancer prevention. I think that is a little extreme for the prevention side. So with that, I go with more of the American Heart Association practice moderation, you know, one drink for a woman, two for men, um, and always look at portion sizes there. But while you're on active treatment, again, especially chemo, you really don't want to be taking in any alcohol because chemo is Um, detox through the liver. And so if you're already pumping in all these drugs, your liver has to work overtime to process that. And then if you're adding in alcohol, which we know is another toxin to the body, your liver has to work extra hard and that can really um, compromise a lot of patients' health status. So I always say no alcohol while on chemotherapy and even radiation too, but especially if you're on chemo. I think that's really great advice and important just to keep in mind, because I know that just the during the pandemic, there's been kind of an uptick in people's drinking habits. And so, you know, when you go through treatment, you do have to make some of these important decisions. Exactly. And I understand for some people, alcohol can be a de-stressor. It's a coping mechanism. But again, when push comes to shove, if your health is really on the line and thankfully, most patients get lab work done before they start treatment. But Still, it's just better to be on the safe side, just avoid it altogether. But other than that, there's nothing else that we really have a hard and fast rule on. Okay, that's great to know. And just a reminder for anybody that's listening live today, if you do have questions that you want to submit, you can submit them and we'll try to answer them during our um, time today. So just a reminder for that. Um, Now, there are different types of treatment, right? So there's chemotherapy and there's radiation therapy. Are there different side effects that can affect people's ability to eat depending on the type of treatment they're having? Yeah, so I really see this with my head and neck patients when they're going through radiation. They're the ones that tend to have a lot of swallowing issues. So they get a buildup of mucus, swallowing becomes very difficult, very painful. And because of that, we have to either feed them through um, TPN, which is through their IV, or um, they have a G2 place. So they'll be fed with formula through the stomach. So they have a lot of complications from the radiation with the swallowing, the pain, and the mucus buildup. With chemotherapy, it can be anything from nausea, vomiting, the bowel movements. We're always talking about fiber, how to manage your bowel movements. Um, mouth sores are another really big one that come up, especially with certain um, combinations of chemo. And then taste changes are another big one that I see all the time. So when I worked in the hospital years ago, I took care of a lot of the tube feeding patients. And I remember people feeling like it was like a disappointment if they had to go on tube feeding. Like, what are your feelings if someone has head and neck cancer and the doctor says, you know, we're going to go ahead and place this, you know, mm-hmm. this G-tube ahead of time, which a G-tube is a gastrostomy tube. It's a tube that they put directly right into your stomach so they can bypass the mouth, the neck, the esophagus, and the food goes right into the stomach. It's like a formula. What are your feelings on if someone needs tube feeding, you know? What do you tell the families? 
it breaks my heart when I hear people say they feel like a failure when they start to use the tube. And that's actually the thing that's going to help you get through treatment because it's going to help you maintain your weight. As you so beautifully explained, you bypass taking anything through the mouth. So it's really easy for patients who have so much pain with swallowing just to put a carton through their tube. That can give them anywhere from, I've seen formulas as low as 200 calories all the way up to 530. And you just push it through the tube. You're not failing. <laughs> You're doing yourself so much good. You're getting the calories and the protein. It's not the most normal way to be fed. And a lot of people I think are uncomfortable with it. So when I meet with my head and neck patients, I always you know, go over what the tube is, why it's so important. And then if they can, they start to use the formula before we call it crisis mode, where they actually need it to maintain their weight. That way they just get more familiar with it. But Patients who use the tube when they need it are doing themselves so much good in terms of um, recovery after treatment and then just feeling less fatigued. There's less weight loss when you use the tube on treatment. So again, I'm a big proponent of the tube and I'm really lucky to work at a facility where they place these tubes before treatment even starts. So again, we don't get to that point where patients are losing 20, 30, 40 pounds and then we decide to put a tube in them. Right. And it doesn't have to be permanent, right? This can be no, just, a, no. this is just a short term until, mm -hmm. you know, the treatment is over. And so, you know, just because they place the tube, it doesn't mean it's it has to be there forever. forever. Yeah. And so I think that's important. So um, anything else that would be different about, you know, like chemotherapy um, or maybe if someone has a bone marrow transplant, anything else that might change the side effects for that? So chemotherapy, I think, what I see is very common is patients who have the taste changes. That's the most frustrating side effect from treatment. They can have a great appetite. They can be eating well. Bowel movements are fine. But when foods don't taste good, and I've heard anything from cardboard, dirty socks to cat litter and dirt. Lump water <laughs> is what I've heard. Yes. <laughs> they come up with the craziest things. But like if food doesn't taste good, you're not going to want to eat it. And again, that leads to weight loss. So this is where I think working with a dietitian comes in handy because we have little tricks up our sleeves that help with that. So for instance, a metallic taste, especially with cisplatin, is a very common side effect. So with that, you want to make sure you're using paper plates, plastic silverware, and using tart acidic flavors if you're not having any mouth sores really helps mask some of that metallic taste. So using lemon, orange, lime, putting that in your water. But also looking with your water, are you putting it in one of those insulated water bottles? Because they often have like a metallic rim to it. And so that can enhance that metallic bitter taste. If foods start to taste too salty, one thing you can do is put a little bit of sugar. It offsets the sweetness. Or you can add a little bit of salt to enhance any sweetness or flavor in general. When you add salt, it's a, um, it enhances the flavor. It's one of the cooking properties. So those are some little go-tos there. Also using fresh herbs if you can because when you cook them, especially it has more flavor than the dried ones we see at the stores. So it's just little things like that, just to hopefully get foods to taste better. Um, because again, I think that's one of the most frustrating side effects. And that's what I hear from my patients all the time. Um, in terms of food safety for things like bone marrow um, and stem cell transplants, you have to be so, so careful um, with food safety. And I'm talking, you know, foods need to be packaged. Um, you have to look at where you're getting the foods from. I know we talked about this, Nikki, but like um, drinks from a soda fountain, those are off limits because, again, you don't know how things are cleaned. So, you know, raw fruits and vegetables. And you typically have to follow this diet both before you get the transplant and after just to make sure there's no rejection and you're not getting sick because you're very immunocompromised. 
And I think that's why, you know, it's important to keep in mind that each patient is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Their treatment is going to be different. The length of, you know, how long their taste changes are going to last. And so, you know, working with a registered dietitian directly can be really helpful because they can personalize your nutrition plan and work with you, you know, because if one person's food tastes like swamp water and somebody else tastes, you know, like this metallic taste that won't go away, you know, those are going to, those are going to be different solutions, you know, for those different people. And so having someone in your corner, I think is really important. And I do tell patients when I first meet with them that, you know, just because someone had the same cancer as you did or went through the same chemo and radiation as you did, doesn't mean you're going to have the same side effects. Everyone is so different and we are learning more about that. So again, it's really just taking it treatment by treatment, cycle by cycle, working with your healthcare team. I think just letting them know when you start to have certain side effects. The great thing about going to a comprehensive cancer center is you have all these additional services to help you out throughout your treatment. So again, meeting with a dietitian is just one thing we offer here. Yeah, that's great. And there are dietitians usually available attached to a lot of, you know, medical centers in your area. Mm-hmm. And now really because of COVID, you know, I work completely remote. So all my patients are on Zoom. And so I think it's really nice that you may live in a rural area, but you can still have access to a dietitian mm-hmm. that lives or works in your state. And so I definitely encourage you to to search out someone that can help you if you are, you know, struggling with, um, you know, any of these taste changes or any of these other side effects from your treatments, you know, that we have teams available that are out here to help you. So what types of, um, you know, when we're going through all these different, you know, problems with treatment, you know, what are some types of nutrient deficiencies that you commonly see um, with cancer patients and maybe like things that can be helped with food? So the biggest one I see is there are two chemos, Herbitux and Cisplatin, they're magnesium wasting. So oftentimes, especially because patients need these, you know, for months, um, their magnesium gets really low, but sometimes it can get to the point where the magnesium is so low, there's nothing you can really do nutritionally or with supplements. So you have to get IV magnesium. So that's just one thing to keep an eye on. Another big thing I see is dehydration with a lot of patients. And this could be for a lot of reasons. If you're not hungry and you don't feel good, you're not drinking enough water. But also, too, you have to drink enough water to help get the chemo to the liver and kind of flush it out almost. And so making sure that you're drinking enough water while in treatment, but also getting the electrolytes that you need. So that's where things like Gatorade, Pedialyte, vitamin water all come in handy just to help hydrate the patients, but then also make sure they're getting the electrolytes that they need so they don't feel either lightheaded, dizzy, start having heart issues. But typically when I see anyone on cisplatin or Herbitux, you really have to watch that magnesium. Yeah, that's really important. Um, I, you know, talking about electrolytes is one of my pet projects because I do work with a lot of patients with Mm -hmm. gastrointestinal problems, particularly diarrhea. So I'm super passionate about electrolytes. And so Mm -hmm. like for me, I would prefer, you know, like a, a more potent electrolyte, like a Pedialyte or, you know, like liquid IV or something like that to, you know, to Gatorade because they do have more of the sodium and potassium, which is what we tend to lose when we have diarrhea losses or vomiting, that kind of stuff. And so, you know, absolutely. It's so nice to have something you can like vitamin water or Gatorade because it's available, you know, at the corner market, really easy to get. (laughs) But if it's something that you're chronically suffering from, you know, problems with dehydration, it's nice to know that there are some products on the market that you can get keep them at your house. So when you're having a rough patch, you can take some of uh, these there. more potent yeah, <laughs> electrolytes. So don't wait till it's too bad. No, um, I, have, I, don't. 
Don't like the crisis mode. We want to avoid crisis mode. And so I had this question because I do work with GI patients and people with diarrhea. Yeah. Often um, we recommend extra zinc. Is zinc something that you would recommend with people that are going through chemo treatment? So let's talk about this because zinc is considered an antioxidant. And so for the normal healthy person, we love antioxidants. They're great for you. They keep your cells healthy. They kind of act like a bubble. It's like a nice protective barrier around your cells to keep them healthy. However, when you're going through treatment, either chemo or radiation, we're killing cells, both the cancer cells and unfortunately healthy cells get killed in this process. However, the theory is if you have this protective barrier around your cells, it makes treatment not as effective because it might not be able to fully penetrate the cancer cells. Again, this is just a theory. This has not been tested in humans because we can't do this study in humans because it might do harm. So that's just the theory. So when we say antioxidants, we need vitamin C, vitamin E, selenium, CoQ10, turmeric, and zinc in the capsules. That being said, if I have a patient who wants to eat six oranges one day, I'm not worried about the vitamin C when they eat the oranges or any food that's high in antioxidants because your body knows how to process it. It's when you're eating foods that are high in antioxidants in combination with the supplements you might be taking, that's where we kind of run into an issue of, okay, this might make treatment less effective. So always check with your oncologist or a dietitian before starting any um, vitamins or minerals because it could interfere with your treatment. Yeah, that's great advice because, you know, antioxidants are so popular. And so yeah. I feel like, you know, so many people are taking, you know, high dose, high dose vitamin C because, you know, it may have some immune, you know, mediating effects. And so if someone is worried exactly. about COVID, maybe they're taking, you know, that's high doses. Yeah. yeah. So they're making, t taking high doses and not realizing that it might make their chemo, you know, not as effective. Not so exactly. I feel like that mm -hmm. that's amazing advice. So is there, you know, bringing it down, down to the practical level, is there like a go-to food or a go-to recipe or something that you tend to feel like you're repeating yourself a lot with your yeah. cancer patients? So I have two. My go-to for any patient on treatment or that's looking to gain weight because they've lost weight or they just need to kind of beef up before surgery is smoothies and shakes. I can't say it enough. I love them because you can dump so much into a blender blend it all up, and then you have a pretty calorie-dense drink on your hand. So I always say my backbone is a good protein source, whether that's cottage cheese, yogurt, a commercially prepared supplement like Ensure Boost, um, Orgain is a good one, or just regular milk too, two spoonfuls of peanut butter and a banana, and then patients get very creative. Um, I have some that add extra coconut oil in if they need more calories for weight gain. Um, if you're having any constipation, maybe throw in some berries or some spinach. And you don't even have to drink the whole thing in one sitting. Some patients kind of sip on it throughout the day to their appetite's not very good. Um, the other thing I really recommend is for patients to keep bland dry foods with them at all times. So like um, crackers are a really good one, saltines, oyster crackers, pretzels, anything bland and dry to settle your stomach. Because once you start treatment, your stomach becomes just more sensitive in general. And so what happens is if you go too long without eating, your stomach acid builds up and that can trigger nausea and vomiting for some patients. So to avoid that, so we can have good nutrition through treatment, just keep those bland dry foods and snack on them every two to three hours or if they start to feel queasy. 
Yeah, that's great. And you can keep some of that stuff in your car because, yeah. you know, sometimes you might be out and about and you, you were gone longer than you it. planned or your appointment <laughs> took longer than you, you know, than you planned yeah. and you start to feel that nauseous feeling. And, you know, it's hard because mm-hmm. once that, yeah, once you start feeling like that, it's hard to get it to stop. So it's great to have those little um, kind of like dry carbohydrate snacky yeah. foods available yeah. to make you feel better. Yeah. So let's say someone has gone through their treatment and then yeah. they finish treatment and there's a little bit of food fear, you know, cause it's like, Oh, you know, where, yeah. where do I go from here? Like, what would you recommend as far as a specific diet after they're finished with treatment? That's a good point too, is a lot of patients do experience food aversions after just whether they had a bad experience during one cycle of their treatment and they can't look at certain foods the same way anymore. Um, but I always go back to the American Institute for Cancer Research, their new American plate method. It's been scientifically shown for prevention and survivorship. Um, Again, there's still that emphasis on protein-rich foods just because patients who lose weight on treatment, they're not losing fat. Oftentimes, they're losing muscle. We're still not quite sure why this is. But again, that protein, that increased protein need and eating more protein-rich foods hopefully spares the muscles from being lost. Um, So again, focusing more on your plant-based foods, the fruits, vegetables, and whole grains Because the one thing that we do know with nutrition and cancer is that maintaining a healthy body weight really reduces the risk of a secondary cancer or a recurrence. Um, And so we define a healthy body weight of a BMI of um, 18.5 to 24.9. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but that's what we have right now to base healthy weight guidelines. But again, even a 5 to 10% weight loss is doing you a world of good. Um, So again, it's just increasing those um, plant-based foods because a lot of patients don't eat them while on treatment, focusing on protein, and then trying to get back to a healthy weight. Yeah, I think that's great advice. So I'm going to push a hot button for you, I think. (laughs) Uh, So we as as dietitians, we get asked like questions repeatedly over and over again. And so this is a question I know if I've gotten this question, and I'm sure you've gotten this question, this too. Should I avoid sugar and does sugar feed the cancer? I have heard this since I started working in oncology. Does sugar feed cancer? Did it cause my cancer? Will it cause my cancer to come back? Long story short, the answer is no. And so this theory came about because you have your healthy cells and you have cancer cells. Both of these cells have insulin receptors sticking out of them. And these insulin receptors are really important because they help take any glucose that you get from you eat from the foods that you eat, whether that's a cup of brown rice, some vegetables, or a cookie. At the end of the day, they break down into glucose. I'm not discrediting the brown rice and the vegetables and the fruit for all the health benefits that they have, but at the end of the day, it's going to break down into glucose. In order for your cells to use that as energy, so you know you can go do your day-to-day activities, you can go for a run or a walk, that glucose has to get into the cells to be used. And that's where the insulin receptors come in. They channel that glucose into the cells. The only caveat with your cancer cells is they have more of these insulin receptors. So they're what we call hypermetabolic. They just soak in that glucose at a faster rate than your healthy cells do. So even if you were to cut out all carbohydrates, you're essentially going keto, you're eating chicken and avocado for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Your body then turns towards its stored fat tissue and the muscles converts these molecules into carbohydrates to be used as energy. That being said, it's a very taxing process on the body. Your body doesn't like to do it. It can really weaken your immune system and cause a lot of fatigue. So I don't recommend that at all. So no, sugar doesn't feed cancer. However, 
Sugar is very addictive. Once you start eating sugar on a regular basis in large amounts, your body gets used to it and then you need more to get that same hit or that same fix. And so over time, this can lead to you overeating, which can lead to weight gain, which we know increases the risk of cancer. So having a piece of cake or a cookie at a birthday party is not going to increase your risk of cancer. It's more of what you do on a day-to-day basis that you really should look at. But that one incident, no, it's not going to feed your cancer, didn't cause your cancer, and it's not going to make it worse. But yeah, I do it every day. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure, you know, like, and you know, I have my own topics that I hear a lot of too. So, okay. So we've talked about a lot of different things. You know, we talked about like chemo and radiation, bone marrow transplants, advice, you know, ways to Mm -hmm. eat, you know, things not to eat. Is there anything else that we haven't covered today, but any other hot topics that you feel like are questions that come up repeatedly in your work with, you know, one-on-one cancer patients? So I do see a lot of breast cancer patients and they always bring me with wonderful questions, a lot of questions. And one hot topic in the breast cancer community is soy foods. Should I avoid soy foods because of the estrogen, especially if I have an estrogen sensitive cancer? Do I need to avoid all soy? Are there certain soy foods? And so just to clarify this, estrogen is the hormone in our body. But then in foods, there's phytoestrogen. They look very similar, but chemically they're different. So your body, it's they're just completely different. So you don't hear people saying to avoid flax seeds, onions, or garlic. And those have phytoestrogens, but everyone will tell you not to eat soy in terms of tofu and soy milk. Um, so I bring it back to the basics. You want to focus on whole soy foods. So think tofu, tempeh, edamame, miso, and uh, unflavored or unprocessed soy milk. Those are going to be the ones that have been shown to be beneficial, especially for breast cancer patients. Um, Look at the Asian communities. They start drinking soy milk at a younger age. They start eating tofu at a younger age, and they have less rates of breast cancer. That being said, though, those are the whole soy foods. Then, of course, the food industry got really smart about this. And they started putting in soy into a lot of things. And so one thing to look at is soy protein isolate. It's a very processed form of soy. And again, in Petri dishes, so this isn't even rats. This is definitely not humans. In Petri dishes, this has been shown to increase maybe the risk of breast cancer. So just read the nutrition facts label. Again, if it's a processed food, we shouldn't be eating a lot of it anyways. Um, But one thing that does grind my gears is those Luna bars have a lot of soy protein isolate. That's their main protein source, and they're marketed towards women. So again, back to the basics, whole soy foods, anywhere from three to four servings a day um, is perfectly fine. But no, you're not, when you have those foods, you're not eating estrogen. It's phytoestrogen. It's just a little different. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I think it's time for us to wrap up today. Kaylee Proctor, thank you for joining us and everyone for listening in and sending in any questions. We didn't get any questions. That was kind of a bummer, but maybe next time. Um, And Kaylee, I actually learned a lot today. I'm excited to remind me the name of the Institute. What's that called again for the um, The American Institute for Cancer Research? I love it. I'm obsessed with it. I talk about it all day long. Okay. So we all heard about it here. So to learn more about our initiatives, programs, services, ways to give, or if you're looking for help or medical advice, please visit Providence.org and make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter and Providence Health System on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for joining us today and we'll see you again next time.